Good morning, church. It's good to see you. Good to be with you. Uh, happy Valentine's Day. We, uh, we start our Valentine's Day series, Love Thy Neighbor. All you single people are like, who's my neighbor? Join our singles ministry and you can find... I'm just kidding. I'm totally kidding. We don't have a singles ministry. Um, this, <laughs> and it's totally coincidental that we're starting a series on love with on, on Valentine's Day. So uh, the, the world is getting more and more complex. Um, I, I think about the, you know, the high schoolers I see graduate every year uh, you know, in the church. They, they, uh, they graduate and they have so many options right? 200 years ago, you know, if you, if your dad was a farmer and you, you know, what were you going to be in life? A farmer, you know, like you didn't have a lot of options. A lot of life was, was really chosen for you. Um, but people now have so many options, right? Schools and majors and careers and life paths. And it's really overwhelming for, for a lot of people. And it's not only in the big decisions, but also in the day-to-day life, I think is getting more and more complex, Right in our in our digital age, we have so we have so much information uh, at, at our fingertips. Right, we can consume more information in a day than our ancestors did in a month or maybe even a year. Right, uh, we have modern transportation technology. We can go an, a, a, you know a huge amount of places. Um, where if you just had, you, know, you, could, you just could walk places, you wouldn't have so many options, but we can go anywhere we want to in the world almost. Um, except not today, because it's icy, so stay home. Uh, but uh, so, but it's, it's so complex, there's a lot to do. What should, we, what should we be doing? What should we be learning about? What, we should, what, we should, be thinking, what should we be thinking about? What should we be focusing on? Um, in an increasingly complex world, I think it's helpful to have some, some stakes in the ground, right? Some, some monuments, uh, some, some uh, signposts in our lives that we can look to and, and give us some direction. Um, t- today, we're looking at a teaching in Scripture that is and has been for so many believers throughout the ages, a real North Star, right? a, a real guiding light. And, and I pray that God will, by His Spirit, give us the clarity and the purpose that he wants us to have um, through it. So this morning, we, we begin three week, a three-week series on love thy neighbor. Um, we're talking about how can, we, how can we love our neighbors, right? The neighbors that God has given us. Uh, we'll be digging into some, some different passages, but today we're gonna look at Luke 10, as we just read. We'll see three things today. We'll ask, what is the command here? I will ask, what does it look like? Right? What does it look like in action? And then three, how can we actually obey Jesus in this. Let's pray once more uh, before we, we dive in. Lord, uh, we're so thankful that you've brought us together today. We're thankful for your church, and we're thankful for your word, and we're thankful um, for the Holy Spirit. Um, we, we just ask, Holy Spirit, that you would open our eyes, that you would speak to us, um, that you would, uh, you would pour your love into our hearts uh, by your spirit, and that you would teach us to love others as you call us to. In Jesus' name I ask, amen. So first, what is the command? What is the command? Um, an expert in the law, a lawyer, stands up to test Jesus. Okay, so uh, throughout the Gospels, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, uh, the, the ruling classes, religious leaders of the day, they, they had been, uh, they were really threatened by Jesus, right? He teaches as one who has authority, not as the scribes. People are going after him uh, instead of them. And so they're keen to trap Jesus in what he, he says. They try to ask him tough questions that he might you know, misspeak or say something wrong and they can then accuse him uh, and, and catch him. And this is one of those times. And the, the, uh, the lawyer comes up and says, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? 
Um, Jesus, um, uh, well, first of all, th- this isn't an easy question, right? This, this is not a, a simple question. Um, the Jewish rabbis would, would uh, count 613 commands uh, in, in the Old Testament. And so it's, it's not a simple thing to look at all those commands, that body of law, and go, uh, what is the, what's the, the sum of these? Like, sum these up for me. Condense them into uh, one or two sentences. That's, that's not an uh, easy question. But the man answers, the lawyer answers with two quotes from the Old Testament, one from Deuteronomy and one from Leviticus. Um, Deuteronomy 6.5 uh, says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. At the Shema, this is, uh, Jews would recite this every morning and every evening. Very uh, familiar passage. Uh, then Leviticus nineteen eighteen, uh, a part of it, which says, "Do not take revenge or bear a grudge against members of your community, but love your neighbor as yourself." I'm the Lord. Whether this this lawyer had heard Jesus said this say this before, uh, Matthew and Mark both have Jesus saying these words. Um, or, or whether he just got it right, we don't know. Uh, but Jesus likes his answer, right? Jesus likes his answer. You've answered correctly, he said. Do this and you will live. This is what is, is traditionally called the great commandment, right? Uh, the great commandment. And, and this is, comes from Matthew's account in, in Matthew 22, where Jesus says these words and he, he affirms this is the greatest and most important commandment. And on its face, it's simple enough, right? Love God, love people. That's good. We need some simplicity in our lives, right? Uh, that's helpful. Uh, but, but let's dive into these commands a little bit more and, and see what, what they have to, to say to us. First of all, first of all we can notice um, that these commands can be summed up in one word, love. Love. Love the Lord. Love your neighbor. Um, God is love, and his highest call is to be like him, is to love. Um, love, I think, is misunderstood these days. Uh, some people think it means kind of unconditional acceptance. So if you, say, yeah, if, if you were to say, for instance, I'm going to eat my shoe or I'm going to stare directly at the sun, then to love you would just be to support you in your endeavors. Uh, but we know that's not true, right? That's, that can't be true. Uh, lo- love is, is actually most fierce when the beloved is in the most danger, Right? Um, others think love is, is primarily a warm, kind of fuzzy feeling. That's how we talk about it. And Valentine's Day, we talk about love in this way. But that's, I think, I think we would agree, too shallow of a definition uh, of love. While love certainly does interact with our emotions, should interact with our emotions, um, we, you, there's clearly times when you can love someone, you can choose to love someone who you do not like at that moment, right? All my married people, give me an amen on Valentine's Day. Uh, the, the, uh, right, we, we, we love is more than a feeling. It has to be more than a feeling. I like Dallas Willard's definition of love, which he says is to want, want the best for another person, to will the good of another. Um, and I think that's right, to, to truly want what's good for another person and to be willing to sacrifice for that good to happen. I think that's a good definition of love. You say you love chocolate-covered strawberries, but you don't. You want to eat them. You know, that, that's not, it's not just enjoying something. It's wanting what's good for some, someone, okay? Um, next, let's notice there, there are two commands here, and, and they have an order, right? Uh, love God is first, love your neighbor is second. They're different, um, and they're tied together, 
right? Love for God is primary. Uh, lo- uh, you know, love for neighbor is secondary. Um, love for, for God fuels love for neighbor. Uh, and love for neighbor shows love for God. Right? You, you have to have them both, and you have to have them in the right order. Um, one way love for God expresses itself is in love for our neighbors who are made in his image. Right? And, and the way to love people best is to first love God, right? who gives us the resources and motivation and strength and direction and patience that we need to love others. Uh, let's look closely at, at the first Right? Let's look closely at this, the, the first command. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Um, you might have noticed that, uh, that mind isn't actually in the Deuteronomy quotation. Deuteronomy 6, 5, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Not your mind. And so you might wonder, is this lawyer misquoting you know, the, the, the verse? Um, and in fact, if you've, if you've done any Bible study, you've, you've noticed that any New Testament reference to the Old Testament, you think, man, they're being sloppy. There should, it kind of says that, but it's not exactly that. Um, you think they're being sloppy with their quotations. You might get marked off in English class for that if you did it um, in, in these days. But we have different conventions now than the biblical writers had. And so I think it's just helpful to know when, when a, a New Testament writer is quoting an Old Testament writer, it's always a paraphrase, right? They're basically paraphrasing it. Um, and so he, he, this lawyer is not changing scripture when he adds that to, we should love God with our mind. Um, in fact, it's already in the meaning of, of the word. In, in Hebrew, the word heart uh, is actually is sort of the center of a person. It doesn't just mean a person's emotions, but it means their mind, their will, and their emotions. And so when you read heart in the Psalms, it's, that's what it means as well. Uh, it's just, that's helpful to know. So the point here is clear, right? Love God with all you are, and with all that you have, right? Notice it doesn't just say heart, soul, mind, strength. It says all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all of your mind. I think the alls emphasize the, the comprehensive, the extravagant nature of our love for God. In, in all your thinking and all your feeling and all your doing and all your longing, you should have great affection for, great admiration for, uh, a great desire for the good of God. You should want what's best for him and, and give yourself completely to him. And I think this is what the, the Westminster Catechism, uh, the first question is driving at, right? What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. What is that except loving God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our strength, all of our mind? There's, there's a wholeheartedness here it calls us to. Right? There, there's an integration. You think of integrity, all the pieces of ourselves being aligned and being spent in love for God. Um, there, there's a, a commitment here. Right? You, can't, you can't love something with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and then like hold some of it back. <laughs> right? there, that's not, a, that's not the, in the definition of it. You have to commit. You have to surrender everything to him. This is the call. Love God with all of our heart with all of our soul, all our mind, all our strength. Now the second command, love your neighbor as yourself. The second, um, so let's break it down. Love, you want what's best for your neighbor. Your neighbor. Who's your neighbor? Well, we'll see Jesus' answer to that in just a moment. Um, But we can say, I think at least, that your neighbor isn't everyone in general. 
right? Like it's a lot easier to love everyone in the world than to love like everyone in the car, <laughs> you know? Because <laughs> uh, they're actually with you. So like it's, it's hard, it's easier to love everyone in the world than love everyone in your classroom or everyone in your family or everyone on your street. Um, and so, um, so we're called to love our neighbors. Like you're called to love your specific neighbor. And, and love them how? It says love them as yourself. Love them as yourself. I, I see a lot on Instagram about self-care I don't know if you've seen this, the self-care movement. It's a big thing. Um, it seems to be a lot about exercise, time alone, spa days, uh, cups of tea, massages, and taking pictures of yourself. I think that's what, it, what self-care is. Um, and I, I joke, of course, but, but I, I, I do think that um, you can see the appeal of this and the good of it, right? There's, there's truth in this. We should take care of ourselves. We are people made in the image of God. We're temples of the Holy Spirit. Should we take care of ourselves, take care of our bodies? Absolutely. Right? We, were, we were made to rest, right? We were made a Sabbath. Um, and so rest and recreation are good and are good for us and for our souls. Um, but I think the line between self-care and selfish is a pretty thin one, right? Um, and... and you know, I've heard people say with this verse, well, this verse means, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. It means you should love yourself, right? It means, it means if you want to love people, you have to love yourself first. And I think that's kind of like the self-care movement. It's not that it's completely wrong, but I think it's completely the wrong focus, if that makes sense, right? The, the point of this command to love your neighbor as yourself is that you would think about your neighbor, <laughs> Right, uh, everyone naturally and always thinks about themselves. This is the default. Uh, you and you certainly shouldn't neglect yourself. Right, you need to have energy, for instance, to love others. So you should eat. Right, this is why God gave us food. Uh, but but the call here is to think about and love and serve others to serve your neighbor. So here we have it. The law summed up in four words: love God, love people. But I wonder, have any of us truly loved in this way? Have you loved God with all that you have and all that you are for a day, for, for an hour, for, for a minute? Have you loved another person as much as you love yourself? Have you loved your neighbor as yourself? Now, what does this look like? Number two, what does this look like? Let's look at two examples of the command in action. Uh, Luke follows up this great commandment here with two stories, which I think illustrate the two parts of the command very well. Uh, the first one, illustration one, what does it look like to love your neighbor as yourself? Um, so the, the, the lawyer, it says, wanting to justify himself, he asks, and who is my neighbor? And so apparently he can think of some people who he hasn't loved as his neighbor, but he thinks, well, maybe they weren't my neighbors, right? Who is it? Who is it? Define that. And Jesus tells a, a story, a parable, in answer to this question. He says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him up, and fled, leaving him half dead. 
Okay, so this guy in the this, in this story is a Jewish man, right? He's, he's, uh, he's in Judea. He's going from Jerusalem to Jericho. Uh, robbers, bands of robbers would have been a really common threat in, in uh, you know, pre-modern times before cell phones and modern transportation. Uh, and so, you know, a traveler would likely be carrying something of value, you know, to sell in town or to, to you know, the money that they they made in town. Um, and so if they were alone, they were vulnerable to these bands of robbers. And so th- this, these, this gang of robbers, uh, you know, attack this man, strip his clothes off, beat him, and leave him bleeding on the side of the road. Uh, 31, a priest happened to be going down that road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. I'm a priest, so you can put in the word pastor there for contextualization, if you like. Uh, comes down the road, right? A pastor comes down. He, he, he saw him, it says, uh, but he avoided him. He passed by on the other side. He was busy, perhaps. We don't know. A Levite then comes, right? Not a priest, but someone who, who served in the temple. Uh, so let's say a deacon uh, also comes down the road. He sees the man as well, it says. But, but maybe he's got something important to do at the temple. He doesn't want to defile himself by getting close to and potentially a potentially dead body, right? If you're close to a dead body, you're unclean. You can't go do your job at the temple. Um, so, uh, you know, we, we don't know what he was thinking, but he, he didn't stop. He, too, passed by on the other side. Now, it doesn't tell us what they were thinking, um, but, but I think we know what they were thinking, don't we? because we are them, <laughs> right? When the homeless person walks by the, the driver's side window, when the coworker who talks too much comes into the break room, when the child asks the thousandth question of the morning, when the needy family member or the needy friend sends that text message, we know exactly what they were thinking, right? Some excuse, I'm too busy, you know, probably, he probably wouldn't want my help. I, what, what good could I really do anyway? Man, I got important things to get to. But deep down was the truth. I can't be bothered by this right now. Verse 33, a Samaritan on his journey came up to him and when he saw the man, he had compassion He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. A Samaritan comes by. This would have been a shocking thing to uh, Jewish hearers. Right? This is significant because they were, they were cultural, Samaritans were cultural and racial outcasts to the Jews. Uh, you remember that the disciples uh, were surprised at the, with the woman at the well when Jesus was talking to her. It says, because Samaritans don't have dealings with Jews, right? They just generally avoided each other. Uh, and, and so, uh, it, it's hard to find an exact analogy here uh, for, for modern life, but, but maybe imagine the man is bleeding out in the woodlands um, and, and a pastor, you know, man is driving by, sees him, keeps going. A deacon driving by, sees him, keeps going. Um, but maybe a, a poor man from the fifth ward, right, downtown Houston, 
sees him and pulls his car over and stops and put, gets him, puts him in, takes him to the ER. Maybe a Muslim immigrant stops and has compassion and helps him, gives him the, the care he needs. And, and I don't say that to disparage poor people or Muslims, by the way, just like Jesus didn't say this to disparage Samaritans. But if we don't put the story in our own day, we, I don't think we'll get it. Right? We won't understand it. What does the Samaritan do? He goes to great lengths to help this injured man. Right, the details are great. He bandages his wounds. He pours on oil and wine. He puts him on his own animal. You know, he's bleeding and he puts him in the passenger seat of his car, you know, even though he didn't have leather seats. Um, he, he goes out of his way to help this man in need. Right, notice, notice the difference between the, the, the priest and the Levite. They saw him. And it just says they went by the other way, but the, the Samaritan sees him and it says he has compassion. He has compassion. He, he feels for him. Um, he gives the innkeeper money to, to cover his recovery, right? It, it costs him not only time and energy, but money. Uh, and, and not only money now, but even money in the future. Hey, if, he, if you need anything else, just I'll come, when I come back by, I'll pay the rest. He takes care of him. Verse 36, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Jesus asked. The one who showed mercy to him, the lawyer said. Then Jesus told him, go and do the same. Jesus gives the lawyer more than an answer of uh, who is his neighbor, right? He gives him a story that shows him how to be a neighbor. Who is your neighbor, the needy person in your path. The needy person in your path. Who is that for you? Who is the Holy Spirit bringing to your mind? Can you look at them with compassion? Can you love them as yourself? Can you imagine yourself in their shoes for a moment? I was, uh, I was running a week or two ago, jogging, and I, uh, I, saw, a, I saw a guy who was looking for something in the ditch, like the, beside the road near my house. Um, he was on, a, on his bike, he had it parked, and he was looking for something. And I was just, I was just jogging, you know, had my earphones in, jogging on the sidewalk, and, uh, and I just had a catch in my spirit, like, I should just stop and see if he needs help or something. Um, but I, but I didn't, you know, I didn't stop. I was like, oh, I don't know. he probably wouldn't want my help anyway. And so I kept running. Um, and, and I, then I, I just got a little bit further and I thought, I'm out, maybe I should just go back, you know. I was like, no, well, that would be weird. I've already run past him now. Like, I can't go back. <laughs> um, and, and, I, and I didn't stop. I didn't. And, and I just share that with you to say like, man, I need the Holy Spirit's help in this in this area, right? This is a, a, a weakness for me. I, like, that's a metaphor to me. Like, how many people have I just jogged by with my earphones in, oblivious to their needs? If I, even if I see them, I'm not even willing to just take a second. What opportunities for ministry has God put in our paths that, that we've just been oblivious to, we've just missed Now, the second illustration. Uh, what does it look like to love the Lord? What does it look like to love the Lord? Luke tells us of, of Mary and Martha. 
Verse 38, while they were traveling, he entered a village uh, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who also sat at the Lord's feet and was listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks and she came up and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? So tell her to give me a hand. I love the gospel so much. Isn't this story great? Like the details. Can't you like put yourself in that story really easily? They're so rich. Um, Mary and Martha, they're sisters. They're, uh, they're good friends of Jesus along with their brother Lazarus who is, doesn't come into the story but who Jesus will raise from the dead. Uh, Martha is entertaining Jesus and, and uh, probably a large group of people who are traveling with him in her home. Uh, and Mary is sitting, listening to Jesus, sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to what he says. And Martha, it says, is distracted by her many tasks. Right? She's entertaining, she's hosting, she's busy. And she's so bothered by her sister's unhelpfulness that she is driven to say something. Right, and, and to say something to Jesus, no less. Like, I just wonder, did she say something to Mary? She was like, Mary. She's like trying to catch Mary's eye, like, do you see I'm working? And she can't, and so she just, I'm just gonna say it to Jesus, right? Lord, don't you care that my sister isn't giving me a hand? Like, tell her, help, tell her to help me. So here's Martha. She's just busy with good things, right? She's literally serving the Lord, Right, she's hosting the Lord in her home. Uh, she, she's, and this is a danger, I think, for us Christians. This is a danger. We have a lot of activities. We're doing a lot of things. We have a lot of ministries to juggle. We have a lot of demands on our time and on our attention. And it can make us upset, and it can make us frustrated with those who don't seem to be helping. See what Jesus says to her. Verse 41, the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has made the right choice and it will not be taken away from her. One thing is necessary. I think these words ring out to us, ring out across time as a warning And as a proper counterbalance to all of our serving and our achieving and our doing, what what is the one necessary thing? To sit at the Lord's feet. To listen to him. To be with the Lord. To, To love him with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength. And what a tragedy that so many Christians fill their lives with good things. Right? You couldn't look at anything Martha was doing and going, yeah, she should have been doing that, right? She wasn't, she wasn't doing drugs in the back room, right? She was, she was serving the Lord, right? These were good things. But, but what a tragedy that so many Christians fill their lives with good things and neglect the one necessary thing. Last week, we talked about Satan's schemes. And don't you think this is one of Satan's schemes for Christians? Wouldn't he love to have us so busy uh, with work and school and kids, activities, and, and even ministry uh, until we are, get distracted by many tasks, until we're worried and upset about many things? 
You could almost, you could almost d- use that phrase to define our, our modern culture, couldn't you? Right? It's like, how are you? Oh, I'm so busy. That's what we always say, right? What else can we say? I'm, I'm worried and upset about many things. <laughs> right? Let me ask you, is God your treasure? Is God your treasure? Do, do you sit at his feet? Maybe the most challenging discipline for a 21st century Christian is to slow down and just to do the one necessary thing, to be with God, right? to focus, to pray, to meditate on his word, just to be with him. George Mueller is one of my heroes. Uh, he was a, a, a busy pastor, orphanage director, and leader of various uh, ministries in England, in Bristol, England, in the 1800s. He was a contemporary of, uh, of Charles Spurgeon. Uh, and and he, he's most famous for caring for uh, orphans. He started these orphan houses. He ended up caring for more than 10,000 orphans during his life. Uh, but he, he and, and what he's most famous for is that he never asked anyone for money, right? He, he would always just pray and God would send the money. And so you should check out George Mueller if you haven't, uh, if you haven't heard of him. But here's what he said uh, back, back in the 1800s. According to my judgment, the most important point to be attended to is this. Above all things, see to it that your souls are happy in the Lord. Other things may press upon you. The Lord's work may even have urgent claims upon your attention. But I deliberately repeat, it is of supreme and paramount importance that you should seek above all things to have your souls truly happy in God himself. Day by day, seek to make this the most important business of your life. This has been my firm and settled condition for the last five and 30 years. The secret of all true effectual service is joy in God, having experimental acquaintance and fellowship with God himself. One thing is necessary. Lastly, how can we obey Jesus in this? How can we obey Jesus in this? The lawyer says, t- says what the law says, right? Love God, love people. And Jesus says, you've answered correctly, do this and you'll live. And the same is true for us. Do this and you will enter eternal life. But if we're honest, I think we have to admit that we are hopeless in ourselves to love as God has called us to love. As beautiful as this ideal is, right? I think we would all say, that sounds wonderful. I agree with that. I love God, love people, yes. I, I think we, we have to admit that we constantly neglect to love the Lord with all that we are. We struggle with that. We constantly neglect to love our neighbors as ourselves. I fail at this every day. And so, brothers and sisters, the gospel is good news for you and for me. <laughs> right? It's, it's, man, it's not just good news that we believed in the past. Of course it is. But it's good news for us today because we need it today still. Right? Because there's one who loved 
God with all of his heart, with all of his soul, with all of his mind, with all of his strength, 100% of the time. There's one who loved his neighbors as himself. And his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. He saw us bleeding out on the side of the road with no hope, without God in the world, and at great expense to himself, he stopped and he picked us up and he bandaged our wounds and he paid the ultimate price for our redemption. He's our good neighbor. Jesus took all our failures to love in his body on the tree. He took him to the cross and he died in our place for our sin. And in taking our sin, he gave us his perfect record. His perfect record of love, it belongs to us now, right? He became sin so that we could become his righteousness. He rose from the dead so that new life and resurrection power are available to us. And so we should admit our failures freely to our savior. You can be honest with him. He knows it already. Right? You're going to run from him like Jonah? No, we can be honest with him. We can, we can admit our failures freely to him. So confess your lack of love for him. Confess your lack of love for your neighbor. And then ask him for resurrection power right from the Holy Spirit himself um, to, to come and to, to give you strength to love as he has called you to love. As we focus this month specifically on loving our neighbors and throughout the years, we have different ways, practical ways we can care for people in our neighborhood. We can use this facility to bless our community. We can, you can serve your individual neighbors. Um, if we think we're able to do this on our own strength, then we are delusional. We can do nothing good without him, Right? But if the Holy Spirit dwells in us, right? If we walk by the Spirit, if we abide in the vine as the branches, right? Then there's no limit to what he can do through us and what he will do through us. What if we started by just refusing to neglect the one thing that's necessary? We will never love our neighbors if we don't first love the Lord. What, what if we started sitting with the Lord each day, listening to what he says in his word? H how will you, like, like George Mueller, make it a daily priority to be happy in God? I'm not going anywhere until I'm happy in God. What if his love was poured into you at the beginning of the day before you face the cares of the day? May God give us grace to love him and to love our neighbors. I love God, love people. May that North Star burn in our sky and give us direction to move towards God's calling in our lives. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your great love for us. While we were yet sinners, you died for us. When we had no hope and we were without God in the world, you had mercy. Thank you, Father, that though you didn't have to, when, when you 
looked at us, you had compassion. And, and, and it moved you to action. And it moved you to sacrifice. Lord, I pray that, that you would pour your love into our hearts. I pray that we would not neglect the one necessary thing. And I pray that as your love pours into our hearts, that it would overflow on our neighbors. It would overflow on, on Tomball, on Houston, to the nations, Lord, that, that we would be a blessing, the blessing that you have called us to be as your church. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.